Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. This episode is sponsored by Handspring Publishing. When I was looking for a publisher for my own book, I was lucky enough to have two offers, one from a giant media company, the other from Handspring Publishing a small publisher in Scotland run by four great people. And I'm really glad I chose them because not only did they help me make the books I wanted to write, the advanced myofascial techniques textbooks, but their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional level books written especially for body workers, movement therapists, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. Yes, Handspring has certainly done a great job of expanding offerings for the movement and manual therapy professions. Their author list reads like a who's who for many of the leading thinkers in our fields. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com and browse their excellent catalog over there. And once you find the gems you must have, use the code TTP at checkout. That's like the thinking practitioner, TTP at checkout for a discount. So good morning, Till. It's uh, we're actually recording this uh, episode just after the first of the year. It was uh, the New Year's Day after New Year's today. So uh, how are things happening for your New Year out there in Colorado? New Year was great. I think you know we don't broadcast this until March or April or something like that. I think so. But yeah. uh, had a good time. Busy getting ready for the upcoming year. We got a couple exciting trips. Going to Google to teach a few times. I know you've done that as well. What's you up to, Whitney? What's new with you? Yeah, got a, a lot of big projects on the slate for 2020. So this is going to be this is going to be a big year for us. So I'm uh, excited to hit the ground running this morning. So um, I think we've got some interesting things we're going to dive into uh, this morning as well. I believe. Yep. But today's topic: When does the tissue matter? When does the tissue matter? And you suggested that last time after we uh, had recorded our episode on uh, descending modulation. What made you toss that up as a topic? Yeah, you know, we got talking about this a little bit after our, our last episode, and I think it sort of was a segue into some of the things that we were talking about. So um, to me, it seemed really relevant for us to dive into this uh, in greater detail in this episode as a f sort of a follow-up to what we had done last time, because uh, there seemed to be a lot of relevance here. So uh, just for everybody to kind of get on the same page of what we were talking about, we are um, looking at, there's a, you know, a fair amount of debate in the manual therapy world about um, how accurately can we target specific tissues and what are we actually doing to them when we do many of our therapies or, or interventions that we uh, are engaged with. So uh, this uh, sort of came up as um, a question, you know, when does working towards or when does uh, targeting those specific tissues matter? Is it physiologically accurate to say we're doing some of the things that we're doing and, and what, uh, you know, what are some of the approaches that should frame how we look at the things that we're doing. So this is, a, I think, a direct spinoff of what we were talking about with some of the things on descending modulation last time. Yeah, and strategically, when, as a manual therapist or body worker or massage therapist, when would you be thinking about the tissue? When would you be thinking about, say, the nervous system or other factors that we're working with? And, you know, just to recapitulate the descending modulation idea as a kind of counterpoint, to this question. In descending modulation, the brain turns down the intensity of the nociceptive signal, that is the signal that's coming from some sort of tissue-generated uh, event, before that signal even reaches the brain and might be interpreted as pain. So the brain can turn down that signal on its way to the brain, and as a result, we are thought to experience less pain. 
And it's also uh, getting a lot of interest as one of the key ways that manual therapy probably relieves pain. And it's not usually thought of as, say, a tissue effect in its own right. It's more about changing the signal versus changing the stuff or the mechanics or the structure. And then, so that I would say this kind of gets back to what you had said last time about, uh, and I was talking about that at the very end of our episode of uh, the perhaps the most important tissue we're working on is the brain, uh, mm -hmm. kind of taking off on that piece from there, huh? Mm -hmm. And then, so that begs the question: if you take it far enough, you, you the question comes up: if you can do so much with just changing the signal or changing the way the brain responds to a signal, shouldn't we? Should we just focus on that? Maybe the tissue isn't as relevant as we thought. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, then that you know the next question there is why why would we even wonder that though? Why would people even say the tissue doesn't matter? Is it just because there's descending modulation going on, or are there other kind of questions or wonderings or even objections to the tissue-based narrative? Yeah, to me, I see some of this kind of stuff happening because. Uh, you know, all the time we see this in in the worlds of science, and certainly we see it in, in manual therapy world, where there's sort of these pendulum swings. You know, once a new theory becomes uh, sort of pervasive, it, a lot of people swing really far in one direction, and then they'll swing far back in another direction. And I think we're seeing some of that pendulum swing being impacted and affected because of some of the recent research that's come out and the the emergence of the focus on pain science, looking at the brain um, effects that we talked about last time with descending modulation. And by all means, it is absolutely fascinating what we have learned about how pain works in the body and, and how some of the effects of what we're doing might be much more related to brain changes than some of the things that are uh, happening in the, in the, the tissues. But um, I think that's also caused some people to perhaps go maybe a little bit farther than we really are uh, accurately responding or, or have uh, good, accurate uh, backup information about whether or not tissue effects are really, um, you know, apparent that are happening there. So, for example, I, you know, I've seen a few of these things happen because, you know, w with some of the research that's come out, we see some of the changes that we refer to in manual therapy being less about what we're actually doing to to those tissues to change them because some of the uh, the things that we've learned have not supported some of the narratives that have been around for a long time about what we're actually doing when we actually manipulate soft tissue. Um, other examples, the like the inter-rater reliability, like how accurate is it from practitioner to practitioner of palpating specific things in tissues, whether that's myofascial trigger points or anatomical landmarks or changes in, in um, you know, a position like of a pelvis. We talked about this some in the sacroiliac yeah, discussion. So you're talking yeah. about the lack of agreement that one practitioner might have with another. Yeah. And that being something that makes us question the model that we're just working with stuff or with just tissue. Yeah, so the question often is, is asked, hey, if all these people can't find the same myofascial trigger points, are we in fact really doing something to those trigger points? You know, are we in fact doing something to those particular tissues? So, and that's a valid question right. to be asking. We got to do trigger uh, points sometime, by the way. Yes, uh, we will certainly get that, uh, get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll light some fires there as well. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've seen some advocates of certain approaches, especially with the emphasis on on the neurological changes, uh, arguing that, well, truly the only tissue we can touch and actually truly palpate is the skin, and there are all these cutaneous neural receptors in the skin uh -huh. that can change things throughout the body, and therefore we should really just be focusing on those neural changes because you can't really 
touch anything else below the skin. And to me, this is where you get into a little bit of a problem in making the distinction between touching something and affecting something, because mm. I would agree that you can only touch the skin unless you're talking about like intraoral TMJ work or something like that. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, with manual therapy, yeah, we're just touching the skin, but I'm not comfortable saying we're only affecting the skin because... Okay. You know, when I write up something on a piece of paper, am I touching the paper or am I touching the pencil? Yeah, you're not touching the paper. Okay. Um, I would say you're touching the pencil, right. but you're affecting the paper there we go. because your pencil is leaving a mark on the paper. So that's a that's a good analogy there. So I think we need to be careful a little bit about semantics. And it's like, yeah, maybe you're only touching the skin, but if you uh, can't affect deeper tissues, then how can people get injured from an impact trauma? You know, uh, you can definitely affect uh, deeper tissues in there. So, um, you know, I think those are those are some of the big questions that have caused um, questions or curiosity about whether or not we can really, you know, affect and do things to some of the tissues that we're talking about. So um, since we've talked about some of these tissue-based approaches, let's look at that a little bit here. So what are, what are some examples of some of these tissue-based narratives that we hear people talking about, like when you hear these discussions about what we can do with manual therapy, what are some of those things that... Um, that we talk about uh, that we're supposedly doing at least. We got some examples there and I just want to say a little more about what you said. This is, we've set this up as a dichotomy and it often gets debated that way. Are we affecting the brain or are we affecting the tissue? And of course the answer is yes to both. And right. there's very few people probably that would argue just for one, very few, if anybody. Yeah. But to tease them apart in this way is an interesting exercise. It got me thinking too, because again, Something like uh, descending modulation or other approaches really emphasize, or contextual effects emphasize the brain effects, while other uh, effects traditionally emphasize the, sorry, other models emphasize the tissue effects. So yeah. some of those narratives, some of those models would be the idea that we were melting the ground substance with our pressure. And we were taught that in, you know, Rolfing Anatomy 101. We were melting the tissue and helping it reorganize through a kind of melting effect. There is some sort of viscoelastic change, it turns out, but the, the literal melting is not quite as uh, clear or obvious as we used to think, and there's also questions about its duration, etc., and the mechanism behind that. Uh, we thought we were breaking up. Yeah, I'm just wondering if I could sure. interject for one moment, too. I just want to talk about, for, for just a moment, the importance of language and semantics, because this is a really good example of that. When you talk about something like melting the ground substance, I've seen this extrapolated into other places where people talk about, for example, doing some type of work in melting uh, fascial tissue yes. in a very deep tissue of the body right. simply by moving it around. And the word melt implies a thermal change, and you cannot produce those kinds of thermal reactions simply through manual therapy. I mean, I don't know any practitioner, and maybe there are some out there who have super, super hot hands that can penetrate deeply into the tissue to actually melt things. So we have to be careful with some of those narratives that we create and the words that we use to describe them. Well, yeah, to be fair, I think it was always a metaphor 
rather than a literal kind of like thermal melting. But yeah, they, I what, get that. But there's a lot of people who have taken uh -huh. that and made it made it literal. Uh, have talked about who I have heard describe things as you know melting because of the heat of our hands or melting see. tissues. You know, so I see. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think it was intended that way, but I think uh, some people picked it. No, up you're way. right, and I'm. Yeah. I hope I get through this list because every one we could dive into because, and I know we're gonna also we got fascia flagged in the future as yeah. a place we can really dive into these questions. The breaking up adhesions model, again, some question. There's people that say it absolutely doesn't happen. There's people that say, well, clearly it does happen. But that's a narrative that you could say emphasizes uh, a tissue effect or tissue mechanism. Reorganizing the fibers, we often would describe the work as once it gets melted, then we can reorganize it or that the collagen lays down a new pattern. Probably something to that, but not quite the way we thought where we're just combing out the collagen fibers with our fingers. Uh, stretching tight fascia. I know we have stretching as a flagged topic too, and that's mm -hmm. one where semantics, again, uh, have a, mean a lot. But what would we mean by stretching? And what do we mean by yeah. tight? Those are really good questions. But again, the simplistic way many of us were taught 20, 30, whatever it was years ago, probably not the literal thing that's happening in the body. And you, you added this one, stretching, broadening muscle fibers. You want to say anything about that? Yeah. I mean, this is something I was taught uh, with, for example, massage strokes, which are sort of sweeping, broadening strokes across the direction of muscle fibers. I was taught what we're doing is spreading individual muscle fibers apart and helping encourage pliability in those tissues. And, you know, really began to think about this many years later about, hey, wait a minute, like as small as those individual fibers are, and we're working through multiple layers of tissue, am I really capable of spreading uh, individual muscle fibers apart with the way that we're working? And it seems a whole lot less... Um, physically possible now but uh yeah it works it does some really good things to people and it feels really good i guess this is like a list of tissue-based narratives we have known and loved and maybe not thinking about quite so much yeah uh not to say they're false it's also to say that well we've refined our interpretation or maybe be, maybe diminished their emphasis in our model yeah you said elongating so would it be appropriate tissue? to yeah would it be appropriate to say these are um <laughs> Just friends now, and no longer those who were having a romantic we're not relationship. Married, they yes. were just our no exes. Longer. That's right. Our exes. Yeah. Uh, elongating muscle tissue—that was yours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's along yeah. with the stretching thing. The, exactly. Yeah. The micro tearing model—that actually, when we get a tissue change, it's from little micro tears in the fabric of the tissue. Uh, well, that's a model that was really built into a lot of, especially deep, uh, deep pressure or fascial models. Yeah. And, uh, right. Maybe not as much as we thought. And then we're changing structure, Stru emphasis on the thing, the structural part of that. And this was an argument that goes all the way back to Ida Rolf and Moshe Feldenkrais. They were friends, colleagues, and uh, friendly rivals. And she called their work structural integration. And his emphasis, Feldenkrais' work emphasis was on the brain, and he just... The story goes, he to tease her, he called his work functional aggression. He'd say, no, it's the function, not the structure. Yeah. But this, these models do suggest that the literal thinking of the structure is a tissue-based narrative, which might need revision. Yeah. And then I added in there circulatory models, because we're often thinking about, at least, you know, strictly speaking, you could say the different fluids of the body, blood or lymph, are connected tissues. But we're also thinking about a physical effect in the tissues. We're thinking about moving either blood or lymph around. Would you agree? 
Absolutely, and that certainly is one of the strongest tissue-based narratives that gets taught in the massage therapy world early on in our in our treatment approaches is that we are supposedly increasing tissue circulation again, which has been somewhat questionable in terms of how you actually measure that and what what circulation you're talking about. But it certainly does seem to be that there is a strong argument that there is uh, the possibility of a number of types of circulatory model effects, especially with like you know manual lymph drainage techniques and things like that. So. Clearly, I think some of those things happen. Some of the ones that we did originally describe, maybe not so much uh, the way we had described them, but uh, I think it's a very valid tissue-based um, narrative for, for some of the things that we're doing, for sure. And some of these are still open questions. Oh, yeah. Fair. You know, it's not like yeah. they used to think and now we know they're false. There's still yeah. debate going on, obviously, and there's still yeah. good evidence on both sides of the question. Yeah. Honestly. I think the the thing that we see happening here is that we've we've had some some research and some analytical self-investigation about these things to really question a little bit of what we're doing and make sure that we're um you know and I'm going to say that this actually goes back to something that I was talking about in our episode a couple uh, episodes back about the challenges facing our profession when I talked about the um uh, what do we call it, the sort of um, guru or story-based educational process that we had in our field versus a truly academic one. I think we're, we're moving away from that as the, the dominant model so that now we have a little bit more um, sort of questioning processes happening along many of these lines as we develop into more of an academic approach uh, from what we're doing. So, yeah. So uh, I think that's, you know, that's, that's a good thing for us to look at here. So uh, all these different things. And have we laid out the uh, examples sufficiently and some of the arguments or questions against them? Do you think it's time? Yeah, I think so. There's one other that one I other. just okay. wanted to, to briefly touch base on before we take a quick break here. And that's, um, you know, one of the arguments against some of these tissue-based narratives is that manual therapy does not really apply the intensity of biomechanical forces that would be required to produce some of these effects that we say occur. Now, like, for example, uh, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, as we delve into some of the like fascial and muscle tissue elongation uh, topics later on, but the idea that what we're doing with our hands and manual therapy is, is really pulling, stretching, and elongating some of these tissues doesn't fit with what we understand to be the type of or the amount of force that would be required to make those tissues have mechanical length changes in them. So that's just one of the other uh, arguments that has come up against some of those kinds of narratives. There's some interesting history. I'm trying to go down this tangent too far, but uh, I remember it was the early 90s. Peter Levine was a rolfer and published a PhD thesis on the physiology of the nervous system and uh, uh, eventually became his trauma work. And in it, he said, he did some calculations and said, uh, rolfing at that time, its pressure couldn't change the tissue. And it was heretical. It started oh, yeah. a firestorm. We yeah. were so mad at him and asked him for his references and all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, they're buried in my garage. So he, yeah. mo he moved on. But later that right. came back around and go, well, yeah, sure enough, if we really try to do the physics involved, it doesn't seem to work out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people get really, really defensive about that kind of thing and need to, I think, need to recall, remember, we're not saying it doesn't work. It doesn't have beneficial effects. We're saying the narrative around why we're or how we're describing what those effects actually are may need some adjustment. But that's not to say that this doesn't have beneficial therapeutic outcomes, because it does. And I think here in this conversation, we're trying to uh, distinguish the baby from the bathwater. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're trying to exactly. say it's not, neither one of these deserves to be thrown out or believed uh, lock, stock, and barrel. So let's see what we have going on and what can you and I get behind. Yeah. So let's dive into it. We're going to look at some other things, especially related to treatment-oriented things here uh, after just a brief moment uh, from a... Uh, con, uh, from an input from our sponsor. So our halftime sponsor today is ABMP. Um, this episode is sponsored by the ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership includes over 50 member discounts on everything from massage tables and supplies to cell phone service, and all members can access over 200 continuing continue education courses with free CE hours. You can read ABMP's award-winning member magazine, Massage and Bodywork, which both Till and I write for, uh, as well as many other great authors, uh, over at massageandbodyworkdigital.com. And listeners who join ABMP as new members can save $24 on their membership at abmp.com forward slash thinking. So with ABMP, you can expect more. And uh, in terms of expecting more, I want to know what else can we expect out of our look at these tissue effects today. So I'm going to turn <laughs> this in a different, slightly different direction here. I'm going to talk a little bit about treatment processes or when we're working yeah. Yeah. clinically. Uh, you know, so what type of tissue effects do you think about or do you think about them when you're working in terms of you know, the rationale behind why you're doing the things that you're doing? All right. Yes. Uh, that's a really fair question. Like, where does this rubber really meet the road? How does this affect how I'm actually working with clients? And honestly, I'm thinking about tissue all the time. I really am. I, I think my target tissue is the brain, or even uh -huh. even one step beyond that, my target is experience. Yeah. It's not even a thing. And yet, just like people, it's not just, we're not just a body, we're not just a mind. Right. It's, I mean, even the question has a kind of Cartesian dualism to it. Where yes. really, we're, you know, it's not about breaking it down into, is it the tissue or is it the brain? Is it the nervous system? Is it the fascia? I'm thinking about experience all the time. And my handle on experience is tissue. Mm -hmm. Back to Ida Rolf, uh, she said, well, of course there's psychology. She was quoted she, as saying, there's no such thing as psychology. There's only physiology. And this quote got back to her and she says, no, I never said that. Uh, of course there's psychology, but the body is what I can get my hands on. That's what yeah. she said. So that yeah. was a formative idea for me yeah. as well. And so I'm always I like that idea that. Of, of what you said too, the, the term handle, mm -hmm. uh, that that's, that's our handle for how we're particular, you know, approaching what we're doing. That's the way that we choose to make our intervention. Um, you know, I often talk about this in our, our training programs about the lens of bias that we all have. You know, we tend to look at things through a particular lens. And as, as a soft tissue manual therapists, we look at things, you know, we look at the world often through muscle and soft, soft tissue colored glasses. That's the way that we look <laughs> at things. But that's, that's our handle. You know, that is how we engage with things and how we make our intervention. But you're really right uh, that, you know, we don't want to create this sense of dualism of it's either brain or body because it is so often, it's, it's all of those things wrapped up together. Yep. And if I'm honest, if I go right to the table with the client, I'm feeling for physical tissue-based phenomenon. I'm tracking right. their responses at the same time, and their breathing, their coloration, their sense of uh, expansion or contraction, but I'm also feeling in their tissues a tissue quality. Yeah. And I still don't know what it is, but um, it's going to sound kind of weird, but I, you might know what I'm talking about. 
I can feel when something hurts. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. You know, of course, the the pain is their experience. So I'm not merging with them and, and intuiting their experience as much as I feel something with my hands that seems to correlate to them uh, being sore, stiff, tight, all those things. And then I can work it with my hands, just like you and a lot of other people, to help shift that. Yeah. In some ways, that's a very physical, tangible, tissue-based process. Yeah. Yeah. And even if the brain is behind a lot of that change by, let's say, altering muscle tone in response to the touch. Um, One explanation it is still, for those changes yeah. we feel in our hands. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly a brain-based explanation for it. It is the fact that the touch made the change that makes this still a tissue-oriented um, kind of perspective that cannot be dismissed from, from what we're doing. And the thousands and millions of times that this has been replicated in the treatment room by those each of those individual clients and you and every other practitioner out there have done this we know something happens mm-hmm. we know in fact something like this does happen we are still probably trying to wrap our minds around what exactly is happening but we do know something like that is happening for sure i also think about uh gliding a lot Mm-hmm. Tell me about it, that. Well, I rather than like getting in there and trying to lengthen a short structure, I'm putting like air quotes around that too. Yeah. Uh, anymore, I'm thinking this came from my reading into the research of what was this fascial oriented work really doing, really as in measurable and observable change. Mm-hmm. And there's pretty good evidence that we can affect gliding uh, pretty measurably and clearly with the with our hands on work. We're not going to, like you said, the forces involved aren't going to permanently deform the fascia without doing permanent damage as well. But uh, we can have changes in the gliding qualities between structures. So I'll, I'll feel where things adhered, perhaps, or where they not gliding. And I'll work with movement and the client's awareness and my hands to get more of a sense of gliding or movement there between layers and between structures. Yeah, so your, your reference to gliding is about um, inter-tissue gliding in relation to each other as opposed to not necessarily talking about gliding on the skin, but oh, uh, the gliding between adjacent tissues. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I then think gets perceived by the client as things like increased pliability, greater freedom of movement, yes. uh, sense of ease in the body, all those nice. You know, good feelings that we're aiming for in in our treatment approaches. Yeah, or like the forearm. Just working. I'm just thinking like the flexors in the forearm. A bunch of parallel structures in there. If I don't think about mashing them, if I don't think about stretching them, but instead I think about helping them glide against each other differently, then people move their hands completely differently. They have a different sense of how their individual fingers move. Yeah, and, yeah. And then I guess one more. The other thing I'm thinking about a lot in terms of tissue when I'm working is the uh, inflammatory reactions in those tissues. Uh-huh. Am I, can I somehow with my touch either calm those or uh, facilitate those or sometimes provoke those? Mm-hmm. I would put inflammatory reactions in the tissue-based effects because they are modulated by the nervous system of the brain, but that's not their primary mechanism. Yeah. They really yeah. do happen in the tissue and in the immune system. Yeah. And I think there's 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 some of all of those things that are potentially happening, and it is, uh, you know, one of our challenges that that I think is we're trying to identify when some of these different things are happening specifically, so that we can know, uh, ideally for our treatments, the kind of things that we'd like to facilitate, 
and the kind of things that we'd like to inhibit. Like we'd like to find ways to inhibit negative tissue responses and negative, you know, biopsychosocial responses or, or the way in which people react to certain treatments or and, in, and uh, certainly enhance or facilitate those positive types of things. So that's why there is a, an importance in trying to figure out why, why we're doing or what the, what's happening when we do the things that we do. Well, okay. And then, so then turnabouts, fair play. How about you? Tissue-based effects you think about when you're working right at the table. Yeah, so some interesting things that, that came up for me a lot when I started, um, well, some of this happened with uh, first questioning some of the rationale behind some of the different techniques uh, that I had been employing for years. Like I think I discussed this earlier, talking about uh, broad-based fiber spreading techniques and things like that that I was taught that just didn't quite seem to make sense. Some of those are the, the types of things that were coming up for me. But a, a big one for me, and this was kind of interesting, this is when I started uh, you know learning a lot more about the whole pain science approach had to do with assessment because that's the world I had lived in a great deal been focusing a lot of my time and career on orthopedic assessment which is all about identifying pain responses for an individual and I started looking at this as well if if so much of this subjective pain experience is really about the individual's brain and not about the specific tissue damage problems in many instances and I think I was over extrapolating that model to think well then maybe that doesn't really matter so much, or, or how am I reproducing pain with all these different orthopedic evaluation procedures, or is that even important? You know, if the pain experience is really dominated by the way the brain is working and this whole idea of the descending modulation as the strategy for addressing it, should I even be focusing on trying to find out which tissue is involved or which tissue is originating those those nociceptive signals and, and producing the pain? And I took quite a long time grappling with that question and it caused me a, a lot of sleepless nights and, and angst in trying to figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing because I was also in the midst of you know rethinking rewriting my assessment book and like is this going to completely um, go counter to everything that I had uh, learned or was working with and I think for me it took me going all around a big circle to come back around to recognize there's some real value in looking at this from the relationship of individual tissue pain producing processes to how we might go about that treatment and that kind of comes back into the, the treatment perspective as well that yeah there's a lot of times when a tissue might no longer be damaged let's say in a chronic pain complaint some tissue that was originally injured continues to be painful long after the tissue damage mm -hmm. has probably healed mm -hmm. but there's still persistent pain there mm -hmm. but i still think the evocation of of pain responses from that particular tissue lets me target my treatment approach to that particular tissue with significant benefits. All right, so. this is good. You're saying that anytime there's, you're answering the question where, that's a tissue answer. Yeah. You could say anatomy is always tissue based. Mm -hmm. You could say that if, if it's a pain, it's a place in the pain, whether it's recent or chronic, then it's gonna target the tissues. The tissue is gonna be yeah. there in your treatments at least. Right. And so in answering that question, you know, coming back around to why is that really important or valuable to to know from a treatment perspective, there's a couple things that, and again, this kind of gets back to our whole descending modulation thing that we were talking about last time. I realized, yeah, there's some real benefit in a targeted tissue-based treatment approach as well. So for example, um, 
if a, I'm just going to make this up, a client comes in with a, you know, a former um, ankle sprain or something like that, and I go and work on that tissue in that particular region, having identified that as the primary problem, they get a whole biopsychosocial response of feeling like I'm doing something therapeutically with that injured tissue that makes them feel better. That engages them in the process, you know, gets them working on the same team with me of we're working on that problem. And that, you know, kicks off all these sort of beneficial biopsychosocial responses in them about the nature of what they feel pain in their tissues to be about. So I think from that perspective, that's highly valuable. Also, when we talked about uh, the gating theory last go-round, we were you know, saying that some of the manual therapy applications that we apply can stimulate neural receptors that then can overcome or sort of bypass the nociceptive signals that produce pain because of the movement and or physical intervention of us working on those particular tissues. So it's got a very beneficial means of, of decreasing pain sensations coming from a particularly targeted tissue. Where do you want to go from here? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. It's like, um, what do we want to be looking at as a result of that? So, um, you know, how does this impact um, what we're going to be, you know, how do we continue to look at the, the, the way that we're doing our treatments? So for me, I like what you said earlier about this being a, a bigger, broader perspective. It's not one versus the other, but it really is looking at a lot of these things from several different perspectives and saying, you know, it's, it's all part of the bigger whole. And there's just a couple other things I just want to make a point here, too, where I think um, these things are particularly important. I, I still think there are mechanical tissue-based effects that we can have in certain types of situations, like a after a significant injury where there is scar tissue adhesion, let's say like after a ligament sprain, where you might potentially have ligaments adhering to adjacent tissues, mm -hmm. and we go in with friction massage or something like that, I still think there are potential benefits in, like you said, enhancing the gliding, the mobilization between, a different, uh, between adjacent tissues. I do think that's an important mechanical effect that we can still see some benefits from. Okay, you said and adhesion, so you're thinking of actually separating those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, because we do know that, you know, for example, mobile or immobilization immediately after a pretty severe injury with significant soft tissue damage often leads to adhesive development because those tissues are not gliding appropriately during the rehabilitation phase. Mm. And I think there are some things that manual therapy may be able to do to encourage that that tissue gliding movement more more effectively. Mm -hmm. And we also do know that there is some. Research that indicates that manual therapy may have some benefits in things like uh, encouraging fibroblast proliferation in tissue healing. We uh, talked about tendon disorders in one of our previous episodes, and this is one of those things where there is some, some evidence that you know, pressure and movement to these tissues may encourage fibroblast proliferation to, to help some of the tendon healing. So um, those are some of the things that I see still potential benefits for a lot of the, the, the mechanical effects of what we're talking about with, with those tissue-based approaches. So um, any other thoughts that you have of things that you see particularly pertinent with that as well? Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, we could go on forever, but, you know, just to begin to wrap it up, I think about the sensory aspect of the tissues all the time. And when Peter Levine came in with this equation that says, well, we can't actually remold the fascia 
was his claim. Uh, Robert Schleip pretty quickly came back and says, well, maybe what we're affecting is more like what Feldenkrais was saying. Maybe it's the brain and the nervous system responses. And he began what became a career-long investigation of that question. It's like, how, do the how does the nervous system influence fascial uh, function and the way fascia feels under our hands? And his, the model he put forth is that they're actually the fascia is the location, the tissues are the location for the nerve endings. And yeah. so the yeah they're being directly mechanically influenced the nerve endings by the qualities of the fascia around them, and there's still uh, research being done to really dial that down to say how much of it's mechanical, how much of it's neurological, how much of it's inflammatory, all those factors are in there. Yeah, there's also a big question around passive versus active restriction. That's a tissue question. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, again back to Robert Schleip his. Uh, experiments with people under going in for surgery under an anesthesia had much greater shoulder uh, range than without uh, anesthesia. And that's pretty commonly observed that when someone's anesthetized, in other words, their nervous system is put on hold, their yeah. range of motion increases significantly. Yeah. And so for him, that suggested the nervous system had a big uh, role in that kind of movement restriction question. And yet, there are things like manipulation under anesthesia and the fact that different joints respond differently to surgery that say, oh, the tissue actually does have a contribution. The passive quality of the tissue, never mind muscle tone, which is thought to get turned off by anesthesia. So that's one of the T's apart. That's actually, I'm using that all the time. Which of this that I'm feeling is passive tissue quality and how much is active regulation of tone? Yeah. And um, I think more and more I'm targeting the active regulation of tone mm -hmm. more and more. Yeah. There, you know, did you want to say something? No, uh, I was just going to say there's, I, I think that the big takeaway that we keep coming back to with all this is that there tends to be, and some of this is just because of fundamentalist camps that sometimes tend to evolve out of these discussions of trying to pit this as a one versus the other type of approach. And I think well, we, we keep coming back to this idea that both of these things are happening to some different degree. And what we want to ideally try to find ways to do is to enhance the real beneficial results and, and decrease the negative types of results and, and different and different uh, you know ways that we're approaching this. Well, you and I agree on that, mm -hmm. and I just I don't know why, but I'm tempted to be a devil's advocate here, and say even that is a is an argument. Is it both or is it one? And that yeah. might be a really deep. You mentioned fundamental. It's a fun, it's an argument between relativism and fundamentalism. You could say that might be a world issue right now. Too. Yeah. In right. a sense. Yeah. So anyway, uh, a couple more of my uh, ways that I actually use the tissue-based approaches on the table. Uh, we're physical creatures. I'm touching a body. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing, I actually do some supervision stuff by phone, but I'm not doing my manual therapy by phone. Yeah. If it was just descending modulation, we could just find ways to be really good at descending modulation and just do that. And some yeah. people do. But now I'm a hands-on therapist. Uh, it feels great to my body when I get skilled touch, and that's the, what I use in my work. And that involves a body. Tissue is what we touch. Yeah. So maybe uh, we should make some predictions about how long it uh, will be before we start seeing certified descending modulators. Uh, oh, man. Maybe we should start that. <laughs> that's right. Maybe we should yeah. start that. And then uh, my last bullet point there that I want to make sure I mentioned was that it's confidence on our own narrative 
that matters maybe more than anything else in terms of the research into comparing modalities. The significance of outcomes when you compare one modality to the other is small compared to the amount of practitioner confidence in that modality. Yeah. So if yeah. I believe, in other words, if I believe in, if that, if what I do makes sense to me, it's a lot more likely to have beneficial effects on the client than yeah. if, than if uh, I'm doing a, a method or a modality that I'm not quite sure about. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yep. We keep looking and keep exploring and finding fascinating different um, ways to to shine the light, I think, on the, on the different things that we're doing. So yeah. that's... Uh, Certainly uh, a, a nice extension on our discussion of descending modulation and the impact of, of uh, how it affects and impacts our work. So um, I would say uh, we'll probably uh, let that rest for today, and we'll, um, I'm sure, pick up different pieces of these puzzles a little bit farther farther down the road here. Plenty so, there to chew on yeah. and some openings yeah. and some bigger discussions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, yeah. Whitney. Yeah, and that. thank you. Yes, always. So our yeah. wrap-up announcements, uh, you know, really thanking our sponsors. They make it possible for Whitney and I to do this for free. You guys don't have to pay for this at all because our sponsors help cover costs. And so make sure you do stop by uh, the website, the podcast website for the show notes, for CE credit updates, and the extras we offered there. That website is thethinkingpractitioner.com. Or you can find stuff on Whitney's uh, website related to this podcast. What's your web address, Whitney? Yep, and people can find us in additional information over there at the Academy, not the, excuse me, academyofclinicalmassage.com. No the in front of that. So academyofclinicalmassage.com. And you can always uh, send us additional questions also or input or feedback directly to us at the uh, email address info at thethinkingpractitioner.com and find us there on social media. I would also like to say a big thank you to all the listeners, the people mm. who are out there making this uh, podcast successful. We've had uh, quite a good bit of uh, great response from folks from from just launching here. So please uh, do pass the word uh, on to everybody else. And we appreciate you taking the time out of your life to listen uh, in on our conversations. Yep, rate us there at the different places you listen. Tell your friends, share us. That's how the word gets out. That's how we keep uh, being able to do this work. Thanks, Whitney. I'll see you next time. That sounds good. We'll see you in two weeks.